Hello, everybody. Welcome. Oh, I forgot I'm supposed to say hey, guys. No, hey, yeah. guys. Welcome to Bang Boardcast episode number 322. I'm Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. For a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first being Bustin' Paul's Chops. <laughs> and then we get into the Week in Geek, bringing you the top geek stories of the past week. Next is the list, the books that we are looking forward to, coming out November 9th. And somebody's got to keep you off the crazy line of paldom that is you. <laughs> I turn off the paul. <laughs> turn off the paul. Have turn off the paul every once in a while. And you know how you do that? By having Chris Calling pick out their weekly rotating main topic? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, this week it's part two of our October 2016 monthly look back. Last week on 321 we had John and Paul's books. And this week it's all about me. Yay. Um, like I said before the show, I'm sorry I made you guys read a lot of books, because this week we're talking about Serenity, No Power in the Verse, number one, Clone Conspiracy, number one, Prowler, number one, Cave Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye, number one, Jessica Jones, number one, Cage, number one, Disney Kingdom's Enchanted Tiki Room, number one, and He-Man Thundercats, number one. So lots Did he get all this? I read all, all of those. I had there was a look of panic for a split second over John's eye. Well, you know what? Because like, I was like, I walked away from it. I, there was a lot of books that we did last week that I was like, these books sucked. And then this week, I was like, I felt the same way. But every book Chris is listening, I'm like, no, I, it wasn't I, bad. I enjoyed that one. Yeah. I like that one. There we go. Awesome. So it's Chris picks better books. Right. Somewhat, I guess. Yeah. And uh, to start off, we we need to be, you know, it's election day here in the United States, and that drives us to do one thing, everybody, that's drink. <laughs> and uh, since it's election day, we had to go hard and straight to the hard liquor here. So, Chris, what beer are you drinking? I am uh, still going through my Ska Brewing Company sampler pack that I picked up for last week, and this is their Modus Operandi. This is kind of their... Bare bones IPA. Hmm. It's it's nice. It's it, it's a drinkable IPA. It's got a little bit more of that harsher hop on it than I normally like. Um, but I w- would say this would stand up against anything that maybe like Sierra Nevada would put out. It's kind of like that flavor profile almost. Hmm. Not not so much like a torpedo, but like a baby version of that. A baby torpedo. It's How a baby tor- torpedo. How adorable. But it's not bad. Um. I will also be drinking the um, orange version of this ooh, ooh. later, the Modus Mandarina. <laughs> All right. We're drinking something rather orangey. Yeah. Uh, so we are drinking the improved Old Fashioned from Brooklyn Brewery. Uh, and we are comparing it to an actual Old Fashioned. Paul made uh, Old Fashions. We cracked open the bottle, and we've kind of tasted them side by side. I used a, uh, for our, our Old Fashioned here, I used a Smooth Ambler, which is a 100% or 100 proof uh, bourbon. And I use bourbon in my Old Fashions. I believe that's the correct way. I think you can use a rye whiskey if you wanted to as well. But come on. We love bourbon. We're going to use bourbon. I love that Sizzarack rye. It's the only rye I've ever had, but I love it. That's good. Maybe that would make it a good bourbon. And I go with an orange bitters in my bourbon. I like my old fashions, uh, very orangey, very citrusy. And, uh, I put a, you know, little, little wedge, a little peel of the orange right in there as it's, well. It's not a little. It's a huge peel yeah, of yeah. orange. <laughs> it's not half an orange. It's, it's bigger still. than my thumb. 
Yeah. It's huge. It's big. It's supposed to be. And it's got it's it's a it's a good old fashioned. It's um everything's just right in it. The orange is good. Uh, the bourbon is good. It gives you just a little bit like mm-hmm. where your solar plexus is. You get like a little bit of warm hitting right there, and you're like, oh, that's good. Uh, and then with the improved old fashioned from Brooklyn Brewery, this is a rye ale, um, or as they say, an ale ba- uh, based on the classic cocktail. A rye ale with botanicals and aged in whistle pig rye barrels. So this beverage uh, is an ale brewed with gentian root, cloves, cherry juice, coriander, cinnamon, nutmeg, orange peel, and lemon peel. And this, uh, it's almost about a year old. Mm-hmm. Um, it was their quarter one for 2016. You're almost through their fourth quarter. Um, I've had this fresh, mm-hmm. and this is kind of a weaker version of it fresh. Oh. But take a sip of it, and instead of thinking old-fashioned, think Christmas ale. This is what I said the first time I had it, is this is the best Christmas <laughs> ale I've ever had. Because this is a Christmas. <laughs> it's so spicy. It's like, this is not an old-fashioned. I don't... Okay, I understand bitters can give you spices, and maybe if I used an aromatic bitter in my old-fashioned, I, so. I, I would get you, that. Uh, if you use the aromatic with the orange wedge and a little mm-hmm. bit of cherry, because we didn't put any cherry in this. I don't like cherry in my old-fashioned. I, I, I don't think it's needed. I don't think and that's fine, but that would give that a little bit of cherry. It would mm-hmm. change it just yeah. a little bit. And I think for a beer approach on having a beer taste like a cocktail, this is pretty good. Yeah. It yeah. is pretty good. It is a good Christmas ale as well. It's, it's a Christmas ale. Uh, which is good because uh, so Halloween, right now. Uh, Halloween Day, Monday, October 3rd. Don't even talk to me about any other is, holidays. It's all about Christmas right now. Is with this when in my mouth. all of the Christmas <laughs> beers came out. And I was taking all the Octobers and pushing the pumpkins aside and loading my shelves with uh, with Christmas ales. So, uh, uh, I can get Brooklyn down here, so this is definitely one that I'll have to keep an eye out for them. This is a big bomber. And it's also $24, Yeah, so it's a, it's an expensive beer. And if you were looking for so an old fashioned. So this is a day off beer. Like this yeah. is one that yeah. I sit around and just like. You trim your chimney. You, tr- <laughs> you trim your tree. Woo, it's going to be one of those shits. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. It's, it's probably 12, already 12, started. 12.8%. And as Paul said, uh, 100 proof uh, bourbon in our drink. Yeah. Um, see, Which, the thing that's is, only like 50, 50%, percent, right? Yeah, 50%. So 12% plus 50%, uh, 62%. Um, hey, but what I'm saying is 20, 22 bucks, right? For basically maybe four servings of, you know, the old fashioned. I want you can't price it like that. You, you got to think about it as being a really good Christmas ale to make it worth your while, I think. Because, it, what? How much is a Mad Elf? Four pack of Mad Elf. Six is, pack is fifteen forty nine. Oh, it's a six pack now. Yes, nice. So, I think it's in that range of pricing. But if I was going to price it out versus having an old fashioned, I can make an old fashioned at home much cheaper. And I actually enjoy my old fashioned more than this as an old fashioned. It's. I'm saying it's not a one to one replacement for me. Yeah, but. If you told me it was a Christmas ale, <laughs> I'd be like, "Woo, darn tootin', that's a good Christmas ale." Uh, 
from the, Is it worth $22 as a Christmas sale? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It is. Because okay. Mad Elf is already pretty darn expensive, so it's not that out of whack. Some places are selling uh, Great Lakes Christmas sale for like $14.99. It's great. One of my favorites. Really? Tops. That's crazy. Because yeah. I think it's $10. It's $10.99 at my store. Seeing it for $14.99. Um, there was something, something else came in. Oh, um, the Anchor Brewing, their Christmas is a little expensive. Th- theirs is always a little, little pricey for some reason. Yeah. But it's a different beer every year. Mm-hmm. How about Celebration from Sierra Nevada? Uh, I think it's like 10 10 or 8 It's w- out. If you don't want to have any mass or skin left on your tongue, you can always mm-hmm. drink that one. That is not a baby uh, torpedo, Chris. It's not a baby torpedo. That, that's a full torpedo. I don't like Celebration. <laughs> no. It is. Um, you know what? It's been a few years we've been drinking. 2013 it. is the last time... I think I had it, because that's when we had it on the podcast. And, you know, we like hops now a lot more than we used to. We've had some pretty hoppy beer since then. Yeah. I'm thinking it might be another time to bring it out, put it into the old rotation, load it into the chamber one more time. I thought about it, because I thought the same thing with the Christmas ale from Anchor Steam, Mm -hmm. because I was like, you know what, It, it changes every year, so the one year I had it, I might not have, just not have liked it. Right. Um... So I was like, yeah, I'll probably I'll try to pick that up, and I'll pick up. I think every other year it changes if I like Great Lakes or if I like um, uh, 2X Christmas from Ooh, Southern 2X. Tier. 2X is really good. I think it's every other year I'm always like, I think I like this one. I think I like that one. So I, I heard that this year's Christmas, not as spicy, more honey than spice. From 2X or No, from Great Lakes. Great Lakes. Mm. Chris, more honey. More honey. Like, a little more honey. A little more honey. Uh, but I thought maybe December, or leading up into December, we'll just start hitting, we'll try to do the best Christmas sales again. Yeah. See what I can find down here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what you can find no matter where you live? You might be getting a bunch in a box, so. <laughs> the news. Yes! Chris! Newsings. The news. And we have so many news stories for you. All <laughs> so three of them. Many. All three news stories for you today. The first, I think the biggest one is uh, the director change again for The Flash. The DC movie that everybody's like, your television show is so awesome. Like, why are you not just letting that be the movie? And ever and the directors, I think, are all saying, yeah, that would have been a better movie. And then leaving. This is second director. Second director to leave over, over creative differences. And the director came out to say that he was a fan of the comic book growing up. And he tried to, he wanted it to feel like those comic books made him feel. And he wanted it to have fun and mm-hmm. have what a Flash movie should be. Like what the Flash mm-hmm. comic book or what the Flash, what the Flash means to us, what the TV mm-hmm. show does, what Justice League Unlimited yeah. does. I think he wanted to make the Flash that and WB or uh, Warner Brothers yeah. was like, no. It's not supposed to be like that. And that's kind of crazy because, like, in the Flash television show, I'm in, I'm in right in the middle of the second season right now because thanks, Netflix. Um, and also Justice League Unlimited and also in the comics, they always allow him to allow, you know, kind of goofy things to happen. 
you know, like the twirling of the arms around in order to like helicopter out of places, which happens in the television show. And I'm like, wow, that's silver agey. You know, they, they allow it to go sil- a little silver age. Even now, even in the modern comics, they'll, they'll let it go silver agey. And, uh, Kate has now instituted a policy where I have to pause if I have to say anything. <laughs> this television show, because she's sick of missing things in the show for stuff that she thinks is just me being stupid. Uh, no, I always pause when I'm like, so, point of order, wife. Now, when you saw this character before, they didn't have that extra arm. That's from the radiation. And then she goes, okay, thank you. Can you start it? Yeah, sometimes it's like, uh, I, I saw him like running across the building and there was a helicopter and I'm like, oh, this is gonna be so cool! Because he's gonna run across the helicopter blades. And he like jumps across it and I'm like, oh. And she's like, what? And then I had to pause and be like, I thought he was gonna like, they were gonna slow down and actually show him, like Francis Manipole did in this like first issue with the Flash running across the helicopter blade while it was spinning. And she's like, oh, wait. It's cool. Don't hit, don't pause for stupid stuff like that. Just keep that to yourself. <laughs> but she, she also said what? Mm-hmm. So you had yeah. to explain yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should have kept it to myself, though. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta keep the flow going in the Flash episode. Yeah. Gotta keep it going. Much like this news. <laughs> Much like the news. Uh, any thoughts, Chris? Um, I have no hope for the the Flash. flash. No, <laughs> no. I, I it makes me deeply worried for it as well. I mean, Wonder Woman looks okay though. Yeah, the new trailer came out from Wonder Woman. Great segue, Chris. Thank you. Uh, I really keep it, keep it a moving. I enjoyed it because uh, it had color. Her outfit was blue. It wasn't more, that more color. It wasn't like the Superman blue either. It was like blue, blue. It made me a, it made me a little bit more hopeful for it. It almost made me feel like they went back and digitally added, re-added the color or something, kind of like they did for the mirror costume or the one guy did for the mirror costume, right? Yeah, I'm, just, I'm hoping that they're finally taking what people want to see into account instead of just what they feel people want, because mm-hmm. you're going to wind up with a better movie in this case. John, what is so, Chris, you're in on the Wonder Woman movie after seeing this new, newest trailer, or are uh, you still... I, I was in on the Wonder Woman movie before. Uh, mm-hmm. She was the best part of Superman Batman. And, I mean, just the Wonder Woman part of it. Not, like, her walking around, like, Lex's party. Like, that was... Uh, that was dumb. That wasn't necessary. But the Wonder Woman stuff, yeah, that was cool for 30 seconds. Um, no, I'm looking forward to it. And if they can just brighten everything up, yeah, why not? She did the most damage on Doomsday. Mm-hmm. Come cutting that Achilles tendon and stabbing him. She's pretty badass. The, the, the trailers look great. It makes the movie look cool. It's interesting to see where all the plot points are going to go in it. I think the casting is really good in it. And, like, that picture with Mira and somebody added the color, they're not even, like, they're in pre-production. Like, they haven't even started filming the movie yet, so you don't know exactly what color and tone and stuff. Yeah, but they released that picture without that color as a production still to get people psyched. They're like, yeah, this is what people will get really hyped about. And then everybody's like, no, add the color. And then they did. Some guy did. Some guy did, yeah. Uh, Kate was not, 
Kate was not overly enthused by Wonder Woman. My wife was. My wife was like, we're, we're going to see that. Oh, and I'm like, it. you're, Chris is in Florida. You're my partner to go see these movies <laughs> with now. Uh, but Kate is kind of like burnt out on all the superhero movies. She has reached that pinnacle, like, burnout. I think she was burnt out after the first one you made her go to. Yeah, probably. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe she's not a good barometer for me. Yeah, she's not at all. Okay. We're not movie-going people. You're lucky that you get to go see the one that falls on your birthday or your birthday weekend. <laughs> and then you're usually like, yeah, we went to that, but instead of doing something else I wanted to do for my birthday, we did what she wanted to do for my birthday. <laughs> that hap- That doesn't really happen. I get to pick everything I want to do for my birthday, but I do want to make sure she's having fun, too, because I enjoy making my wife happy. <laughs> Uh, anywho, other news we had was something that Chris raved about for years, and it took me quite a while to start watching that, and that was Young Justice. Hey, I'm glad you finally came around. Uh, this is a really good show. It was on Cartoon Network, and it was, I don't want to say created, but produced and show ran by Greg Wiseman, who worked on Gargoyles. So, yeah, of course it's going to be good. But it just announced, hey, they're coming back for season three. Which is about time, because that show was really good. Uh, I think, what, 2012 was the last... Was uh, 2013. Was the last... 2013 was the last episode? Probably started in 2012, went into 2013. And uh, Chris, Greg Weisman, and Brandon uh, Vendetti are scheduled to return for the renewed third season. So it's not like it's getting all new people. Um, so... There's hope. That uh, it, I feel like that's a, that's a good sign for the show. And it was a fun show. And they evolved the characters within the show. They just didn't keep them like, the same beat for the characters. Like they, As things happened within the show, they evolved as characters, which I thought was nice. And it, was, it was, still was fun. It was almost a continuation for like Justice League Unlimited with superhero, a good, a well-done superhero TV show. Mm. Cartoon. Is that all the news? Well, I only had the three things. Yeah, I think we just had the three, right? Mm-hmm. Director. No, uh, no, uh, Stranger Things casting. All right. Hey, you know what would make... I am, I am crazy for Stranger Things. Like, I am, uh, you could say mad for Stranger Things. The only thing that could make me matter... As if I could be <laughs> mad. Of, I'm mad about you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With Paul Reiser. If only Paul Reiser was attached to Stranger Things somehow, I would be mad about you, Stranger Things. Well, he saw maybe what it did for Winona Ryder's career, and I was like, "Hey, I want that." Casanayra, Casanayra, Casanayra. And then they said, uh, "Who else can we get?" Uh, Sean Austin's always free. <laughs> No, no, really, no. He'll work, he'll he'll actually work for free. We yeah, can get yeah. Him. As long as he doesn't have a comic book convention, he's go to that weekend. Like he's he'll be there. This Which like, I think is cool. I mean, it has a little bit more like nerd cred to it, even though the show really doesn't need it at this point. But mm-hmm. I always like seeing Sean Astin something. With Sean Astin being attached, I'm like, this is the closest to Goonies two we're ever going to get. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul Reiser will be playing Doctor Owens, who's going to be another. He's going to be brought in to clean up uh, Matthew Bodine's Dr. Brenner's character for the show. And, oh, so um, he, we'll hardly see him, and he'll have, like, two lines. Okay. <laughs> see, 
So Dr. Brunner, really, how many how many lines did he really have? Well, it wasn't about him, but now right. the second season might have more to do with him. Hmm. Um, and they said that actually the he's Matthew Modine is going to be in the second season as well. So there's probably be a good amount of flashbacks. Yeah, I'm thinking flashbacks. Yeah. Uh, it took me probably three minutes watching the latest Cracked After Hours. Chris, did you see the Halloween one they did? Uh, I don't believe I have. Because they're all dressed as characters from... Oh, no, I did see it. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, I think I think D.O.B. is uh, Barb. And then I'm like looking at Swain and I'm like, who is he? And then I'm like, oh, he's Dustin. Oh, they're the cast of... Uh... Took me forever things. to realize yeah. that. Huh. I haven't seen that one. I'm going to have to go back and check the YouTube feeds. But after we're done with this episode, of course. Listeners, don't leave us. Yeah, we, we still have a lot of things to get through. Don't get stuck in the upside down of uh, YouTube yet. Yeah. we got to talk about our comic books that are coming out November 9th, a.k.a. tomorrow. 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 And, Chris, what are you looking forward to? Um, I don't have anything brand new coming out. It's all continuations of books that I've been reading for a while, but... This one's definitely catching my attention and sending me to an actual physical comic book store again to pick this up. But this is Sandman the Overture trade paperback. Um, we're finally getting the collected version of the J.H. Uh, uh, Williams drawn uh, continuation of Neil Gaiman's Sandman story. Um, I read number one when that came out like three, four years ago. I really enjoyed it, but at that time I just I wanted to get all of it at once, so I kind of told myself, nope, I'm I'm just buying the trade when it comes out. So I'm looking forward to finally finishing up the series. Uh, yeah, I saw this was on the list, and I was like, or, you know, coming out tomorrow, and I was like, oh, Chris is most definitely getting that. Yep. Uh, and I'm getting, I'm picking up something that I missed last month, which is The Green, which is a comic book by Max Landis. Uh, his father is the, uh, the director of, uh, American We're- Wolf in London. And, uh, Kentucky Fried Movie, many movies, uh, and uh, Giuseppe Camunacoli. Kim McCauley. Uh, on art in this book uh, features the Knights of Keladia. They are the finest in the land, but they've never faced a power like the one that resides in the Green Valley. This seems like a sword and sorcery kind of book, and I've been in the mood for that lately. Um, I saw the description and the cover for issue two, and I was like, how did I miss this? And was like, hey, they're reprinting issue one. Doesn't matter. I'm going to buy it digitally. Uh, but yeah, that's on my plan. It's on the docket. Hmm. I'm buying it. Going to get it. Going to get it. You know what I'm going to get? Not a clue. I um, think you told Chris, too, while I was sitting here. Yeah. Uh, I want to get it into outer space. Screw this junk. I'm going to space. Uh, and I haven't checked in with the series since we read it for a look back. And it's uh, Marvel's Star Wars. A lot of S's in that. Poe Dameron. Number eight. Uh, still written by Charles Soule. And art is still being done by Phil Noto. So oh, still a good book. <laughs> still going to be a good book. Uh, there's this Agent Terex that has vowed some sort of vengeance against Poe. And he's uh leads the Black Squadron. Ooh. Now, um, so to catch up between one and eight, you're just going to Wikipedia and find out oh, what's yeah. happened? Yeah. No. Because, you know, no, be Marvel, so it's the first page. 
Oh, okay. yeah, that's a page. <laughs> Where was my mind? Yeah, they're Where their were... own Wikipedia. They like, have yeah, their own. That's fine. I'll go to actually for this. I would have to go to Wikipedia. Oh, oh, to actually catch up. You in wordplay. Well, no, that's that's the actual site. That's the actual thing. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Woof. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I can't do Wookie sounds. <laughs> you should have called up. I should have called up. The two-year-old that I know <laughs> that can do better Wookiee sounds than I can. Well, his dad's the master. His dad is the master at Wookiee sounds. But no, I'm excited. You know, I do this every once in a while. I'll check in, and then you guys never hear about me talking about the book again. Because you forgot that you checked in. <laughs> yeah. You forgot you bought it to read it. <laughs> yep, pretty much. Well, no, usually what happens is Paul doesn't actually buy the book. <laughs> he says, like, yeah, I'm gonna, I should want to check back in on this. I don't want to. I just don't want to spend the money to do it. And then he's like, I said, what? <laughs> well, if you guys are going to hold me to it, I'll pick it up. You guys going to hold me to it? All right, okay. Guys, or, it's yeah. three ninety nine. dollars 99 Listen, if you guys want to chip in, then I'll pick it up. <laughs> Economics major. That's, not, that's how we roll. How you roll. Bankroll. <laughs> Bankroll. Uh, talking about books that... I don't pick up and other people read. It's time for a dramatic reading. Unless, Chris, you got your next beer ready. Uh, I mean, it's right next to me, so I can be ready for it whenever. It's okay. up to you, man. Whenever you're ready to crack it open, you just go right into your beer review. All right. Well, how about I do it after you guys do your dramatic reading? Okay. Wait. Oh, I forgot. I thought Chris was reading. I'm sorry. I got to get ready for this. And now, a dramatic reading. From Green Lanterns, number eight, page three, panel one. But at least I got to go trick-or-treating. Remember, Farid, even the Flash doesn't run without looking twice before crossing the street. Okay, okay, Mom. Can I go yet? Uncle Simon came come with me. And that... Oh, I should have done it all sing-songy. Yeah, ah, It was a dramatic reading from Green Lanterns. Number eight, page three, panel one. I have to put the emphasis on the S, otherwise people will get confused. They'll get confused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And is that a mm-hmm or a uh-huh that you said? No, that was, that was an uh-huh. Because, uh-huh. yeah, my next beer, like I said at the beginning, this is the orange version of the Modus Hopperandi, and this is Modus Mandarina. It tastes a lot like the Modus Hopperandi, except it's got like an orange rind to it. I think I, I think I like that. Is it is it better with it's, it, or is it addition through, subtraction through addition? Um, it's basically just an addition for an addition's sake. Like it, I feel like it really doesn't add anything else to it except more of like a bitter note, which you're already getting from the hops. Because it's not a sweet orange, it's like an orange zest. Like it's, it's like biting into the orange like an apple. Because for some reason you've never actually eaten an orange before, and nobody showed you how to do it. But you're at a fancy <laughs> dinner party, so you want to look like you know what you're doing. It tastes like that. It's like when it's I not was... bad. I mean, I've been drinking this for the past uh, week now. I mean, I bought a six pack of this, and I have. The two left here just because I wanted to sit on them for the show, but it's one of those things like I'll crack one open after I got home from work. It's not bad. It's it's good on a warm day. I mean, it hasn't been too hot here lately, but yeah, this wouldn't be my go-to citrus IPA. Uh, 
I find some of those beers, like, I like the original better. I think Sculpin is a better beer without the grapefruit added to it. I like the pineapple, though. Yeah, uh, pineapple's good. They just released um, Limbo IPA from Long Trail. They have a tangerine and grapefruit version of it. And it's good, but it's not as good as just the Limbo is. You know, and it's like, oh, what, do I want to drink flower power or do I want to do I want to drink the citrus flower power? You know, I not the citrus flower power is a thing, but it's like, I think I want to have the original. The original. Yeah. If you give me a beer, I've, I've had these in my fridge since I bought them too. Um, I may leave this last one sitting out just to cool down to see if that mellows out some of that harshness on the back end. And I mean, maybe harshness is the wrong word for it because it's not, it's not coarse. It's not drinking sandpaper like. Some of the Sierra Nevada stuff is, but yeah, I mean, Scott Brewing, I think everything I've had from them is a pretty decent showing. I saved my very last Deal Toe Milk Stout um, for tonight, so I'll drink that later on if I feel like I need more refreshment as we're recording. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad I finally got a chance to try them, and they still have a few other beers that weren't included in the sampler pack, and I may pick up. Well, you picked up a lot of stuff over the course of the last month. And we read it all. I know, there's a lot of books. And for that, I'm sorry, and you're welcome. <laughs> all right, uh, so it, this is your baby, so lead us right into baby. it. Okay, I'm gonna, I, I will start us off. I just have to. I never get to say that. On. Picture of Green Lanterns there. Okay, let me close out tabs. Boom, Comics Algae, here I am. October 2016, monthly look back, part two. Um, like I said, these are all Chris Babies. Uh, these are all books that I picked for the month, and they're all number ones. Um, so jump right into it with Dark Horse Comics Serenity, No mm. Power in the Verse, number one. And this is the continuing tale of the Firefly-class ship Serenity and its remaining crew, because this does take place in the current continuity where some characters have died off. If you haven't seen the show or the movie... I will not ruin it for you, but you've probably seen them. Uh, well, you know, if they listen long enough, that you know, all the spoilers will come out in the <laughs> it, wash. It, oh, it'll mm. all be there. But this is written by Chris Roberson with art by George's Genty. And, yeah, it's much like every other Serenity or Firefly comic book I have read, because they've had multiple one-shots or, like, limited series or kind of interstitial issues that lead up to the movie. It reads just like watching an episode of the show. The voices they nailed. He, I think uh, the writer nailed. Um, they, they read the character. They, he nailed the characters' voices. There is something about this where I was like, ooh, all the relationshipy stuff. I was like, ooh, this is a little fanficy, because you know, if the show went on, maybe eventually one or two of those relationships would have like panned out. And you would explore them for a little while, and then they would fall apart, and then the other relationship might happen for a little while, and then that would fall apart, just because that's how television works, it seems. And not all three bad would be te- go- That's how bad television works. <laughs> not all three relationships would be going on all at the same time, you know? And I was like, ooh, it's... it, it I, uh, For that part, I thought it verged on fanfic. I think uh, in my Firefly world... Mal and uh, Anara, Anara, they'd still be kind of where they were. Yeah, I don't think they ever really get together. Because together. Together. I don't think she would let that happen, especially knowing that her character was secretly dying. Yeah, and then she's not, I guess. Um, 
But I think Simon and What's Her Face would be together. Simon, uh, um, oh, Kaylee. Kaylee. Uh, I do the, not know why I blanked out on that. The book was like going home again. And um, it was fun to dip my toe back into this world. The storyline that it looks like what is going to happen seems like it's going to be interesting, but it then ultimately ultimately grabbed my attention. But I think some of those episodes of Firefly in the beginning felt like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to really like this. And then at the end of the episode, I'm like, that was their best one. So it's definitely something I'd keep my foot in. Mm -hmm. And it, it definitely, what made it feel like an episode of Serenity to me is they land on a planet and then they meet up with some old contact that they have a history with, but you have no idea who or what this person is to any of the members of the crew. Okay, but, like you're instantly brought in. I was wondering if I'm like, okay, are we supposed to oh, know? No, it's, it's such a Firefly thing where it's just like, hey, it's this person again. I was thinking that maybe it was we too have a history, you and I, Mal. Yeah, like, like Monty. That's like you know, oh Monty, what's different about you? Oh, you shaved your beard, a soup catcher. You know, like <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. And I was like, oh, is this one of the girls from like that? Um, that brothel that they saved? That's who I thought, too. You know, I'm like, oh, I might be two girls from the brothel. Okay. And that's what I was going off of. But, uh, okay, good. I wasn't supposed to know who they were. That makes it whatever it is. It doesn't make it wetter or worse. Yeah. I mean, it, for me, it made it feel like an episode of the show. And then also what made it feel like an episode of the show is, well, you might not feel like we should have all those relationships happening at once, where you have that moment where everyone's kind of just... Laying in bed. Turning in for the night. They <laughs> have Jane there just, like, polishing his gun. Not, <laughs> not, like, in any kind of, like, dirty way. He's literally sitting there in his bunk polishing a gun. Mm-hmm. With his hat on. What is that? But yeah, um, it, it reads like an episode of the show. I don't think George's Genty has, like, the strongest um, character artwork. He tries to get things close, but then still leaves it separate from actual actors, that was a lot of people's biggest complaint about his work on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, because some characters looked spot-on to the actor that portrayed them, but then other ones were just completely different. Um, For this, I think everything's kind of close enough that it does work. Uh, My only complaint is just, like, River looks kind of old lady-ish in some of the... I At first, I didn't realize that was... uh, Yeah, until she starts doing, like, flips and stuff, and then you're like, oh... Well, even the flips and stuff, I was kind of like, wait, who, who, who jumped how off? Did that, like, and how did that work? What? Yeah, yeah. There's a couple, you know, some of the action sequences. There were few. Left me like, oh, what happened? Okay, I guess that worked. I will say, Kaylee does not look like Kaylee. No, and Simon doesn't look like Simon. Uh, but the thing but is, I mean, I'd like- rather have the characters not look exactly like them. Versus, like, having the, like, boxed, like, stiff, yeah. like, yeah. super photo reference, so. Because I've seen this show I'm, and the movies, like, I I do know what everyone looks like. I can kind of separate, like, okay, you know, this is someone's portrayal of them versus the actual them. Um, this is part one of six. It is an ongoing, like, little mini-series. Um, and my question for you guys is this something that if you knew someone that was a fan of Firefly or Serenity and didn't know that they were continuing the story of comics, would you pass this off to them? Or would you kind of just be like, eh, no. 
If I pass this one off to him, I would feel obligated to need to pass on the remaining five. Because I don't think there's enough there to, that would make somebody that's not into comic books find a way to go get the comic book. Well, it, it's different now because it, it, it's the digital age, so they can... Almost everybody... My dad just got a smartphone. Like, yeah. Anybody can now but get it. Will they download the app, I sign would be, up? I would be more inclined to give somebody like um, Watcher's Tale or the Shepherd Book Tale. Like, this... I think I would tell people that it existed mm-hmm. and then maybe try to hand them off those other things that I think, not that they were done better, but kind of, I mean, Wash was probably, I mean, for me, Wash was one of my favorite yeah. characters. Shepard was one of my favorite characters. So to, and You, you Shep- speak for literally everyone that has ever seen Firefly. <laughs> yeah, that's what, I didn't want to just assume. Yeah. Uh, but... Like, those are the two things that I think would really make somebody who loves the show go, oh, wow. And then say, hey, there's more stuff there if you want to dip your toe into it. Um, the thing that I did like is that River is wearing the jumpsuits, which was kind of like Wash's thing. Wash wore the, wore the jumpsuits with the Hawaiian shirt over it. So I kind of enjoyed that she's kind of, I'm the pilot now, so I wear a jumpsuit. Like, that's how I kind of read it as. No, I didn't even catch that. Yeah, every once in a while I got Kaylee and River confused in this book. Well, River Maybe was in the orange jumpsuit. Yeah. Kaylee is not. Okay. Kaylee's wearing, like, colorful, crazy clothes. And they tried to do her hair kind of fun. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ultimately, thumbs up for me, guys, or uh, a little wait and see? Yes. In a sense, I think they captured the voice of the show great. I don't know if I would buy the next issue, but I would definitely put it on my list of trades to buy. Right. That's where I'm at, too. I'm like, okay, this would be an interesting enough trade to get, but I don't want to pick it up. I don't want to buy every single issue. I do enjoy what they... I only picked up, what, three trades of Avatar The Last Airbender... You know, but I enjoy that they're like, no, what we're going to do is give you the whole trade all at once. And that's going to be the story versus trying to split it up issue by issue. I think they do do issue by issue. I'm pretty sure they just release books of it. Okay. I'm not going to fight you on it. I've never paid attention. I I think some of them they have put out as like single issues, but it's never like a really long running series. It might just be like three issues and then. The next month, they collect it in like a fancy hardcover book. And I, I, Not 100% on that. Though. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. I think they actually come out with just the like trades for them. But, but you guys have me questioning myself, and this 12% and 50% <laughs> have me questioning myself. Uh, and I kind of wish they did the same with Firefly editions, just because I'd rather get a whole story told because we didn't ever really get that with Firefly <laughs> until the movie. And then even then, you're like, oh, why you do that to me, Joss Whedon? Why you be so mean? And uh, I don't know. Single issues, I think it's harder to uh, to justify. Okay. Big answer, but a good answer. So thank you. Um, ne- next one, talking about... Well, big- what's your answer for that, Chris? Um, if I 
knew someone that wasn't you guys that was a huge fan of Firefly and didn't know that the comics were coming out, I would probably say like, hey, you know, they're they're doing more. But I'll maybe preface it off with it being like, it's not like a hundred percent completely there yet, but it's it's good to dip your toes back into this universe. And like you said, John, it, it's like going home again. Like it it is comfortable. Like at no point in reading it did I feel like, oh, that's that's completely out there. Like that doesn't make sense. Like everything does fit into the universe and the characters. All right, and our next book is. Um, I'm going to head us over to the Marvel side of things with uh, an amazing Spider-Man event, Dead No More, The Clone Conspiracy, number one. And this is written by Dan Slott, who's been on Spider-Man for, I think, the past 40 years now. Yes. It, it yeah. seems like he's written more sport, uh, more Spider-Man than anybody else ever, uh, with art by Jim Chung, who's probably one of my favorite Marvel uh, comic book artists. I'm actually yeah, this, getting uh, confirmation from producer Scott in my earpiece right now that uh, Dan Slott went back in time and replaced Stan Lee as the uh, original writer for Spider-Man. So he's that been, makes complete yeah. sense. As, well, he made Dr. Octavius Spider-Man, so it makes as much sense as that. Yeah. Um, but I, I consider myself a Spider-Man fan in the way that pretty much anybody else that reads comic books probably does. But I don't read Spider-Man, except for when they do these big crossover events. They always catch my attention. They're always extremely well done. And then coming out of them, I'm always like, man, I'm so amped up for everything else that's happening in Spider-Man. And then I get sucked into books like Spider-Woman or Spider-Gwen, Prowler, what, whatever's coming out of yeah. like, Spider-Man. So I'm always like, okay, let, let, me, let me see what else is going on here. Um, so when I saw that they were doing this Dead No More event where the Spider-Man villain from the 90s, the Jackal, is cloning Spider-Man's like friends, allies, enemies, and just bringing everybody but uh, everybody back, and it's just going to be messing with Peter. I was like, okay, Peter's failing is always, he wants to try to save everybody, but he can't. Let's see how he operates with this being thrown back in his face. And this... For the crazy idea behind it, it starts off very kind of slow and more character-driven than I think I'm used to seeing in these Spider-Man crossover events. Yeah, it's two characters talking. First, it's Aunt May and Peter talking at a funeral, getting interrupted by G. Jonah Jameson. And then it's... Because I didn't even know G. Jonah Jameson had a dad <laughs> still alive and kicking, let alone giving it to Aunt May. But yeah, apparently that was yeah, happening. That was the thing. Uh, well, he was he was one of the he he was a character that was in when Octavius took over Peter, and when Peter came back, he was a character that was there because I remember seeing that character with Aunt May talking to Peter in those books, and I've only dipped my toe into little bits of okay. those. So, no, I don't doubt if he's there. Uh, Chris described him as a Spider-Man fan, as any comic book fan would describe. I'm even less of a Spider-Man fan then, because <laughs> I really have no affinity for... I, I like the character, but I don't have an affinity enough for him to actually want to pick up his book, because he's always sad sack Peter. And then when he's happy-go-lucky Peter, it's not interesting. Yeah. For him to be interesting, he has to be sad sack, uh, nothing works for me, Peter. Well, this is very sad sack. Nothing works for me, Peter. So yep. did you like this one? This was this 
I just you're throwing the jackal at me and all these I, other I, I characters, and I'm like, Electra is a woman. Electra is a woman, and I'm like, what? I don't, I don't know where this is going. I don't know what up is down. I don't. I'm totally lost in this book. Jenny Jonas Jameson had a dad that was bone in Aunt May. I don't know. Does Aunt, does Mary Jane know that he's Spider-Man anymore? I don't know. I remember the little person that was hanging out, that was dating Peter back when Octavius was Peter. Yeah. I remember that. But I don't know what their relationship is now, other than, like, co-workers. Yeah, I think they're just confidants at this point. Yeah, she's... Because, again, like, I don't, I don't read... Spider-Man. I read yeah. Spider-Man when he's in these big events. Uh, and I think that's one of the best ways to read them, especially when it's done by Dan Slott. This was the fourth book that I read for this monthly look back, because it was number four alphabetically. Hmm. I think it's my favorite one. Really? I, the, I like the art. I like the story. I like where it's going. I, I read the Clone Saga. I did not. <laughs> See, I... I had a, I had a, I have no I idea a, who the Jekyll is. I had a subscription to, um, other than it's to, a song to, that CJ Craig sings in West Wing. Two, I had a subscription to two. No, no more West Wing talk. <laughs> to two Spider-Man books growing up, so I got probably you know half of the story in those books because mm-hmm. it spanned over the four books. But I grew up reading Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I. Like Chris try to hold on to when Spider Man comes into things and try to get back on the saddle with it and it always after the the big storyline is over the book drops off. Right. I liked this. I liked it because it made me feel nostalgia, which a lot of these books that we read did. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was also well done and also was like, What? He's got like headlights now? Why didn't Peter think of that years ago? Like, every little bit of technology that Peter's using now makes me think of, like, well, Octavius probably thought of that. Like, <laughs> it wasn't Peter. It was acid webbing. He, uh, you know, Doc Ock was smarter than him as Spider-Man. And, uh... He was superior? He was superior. And I think it all... I think, I think the history, even though I haven't been 100% following it, the slight knowledge of what his past has been all still works for me and it feels like it's still the history is still part of this book. That's no, flat out. And Dan Slott's obviously like one of the biggest Spider-Man fans ever. I mean, you can get that just from reading these books, but I heard an interview with his editor on, I want to say it was Word Balloon. I don't remember like how long ago it was. But when his editors, like Mike Martz, I want to say, like sat down with Dan Slott to be like, okay, hey, what do you want to do in your one? Dan Slott sat down with like a composition notebook just full of like, okay, I want to do this, 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 and this, and this. <laughs> and he basically laid out like seven years worth of stories hmm. in like that first meeting. And I think when you see stuff like this, you you can tell like there's not just the attention to detail, but the love and the wanting to tell this story. Um, this might not have been my favorite kickoff to a Spider-Man book, but yeah, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to read number two. Like 
Uh, Jim Chung, like we haven't really talked about the artwork too much besides John just saying like you liked it. I, I want him to draw everything that Marvel puts out because he just he's fantastic and he has been ever since he kind of came on my radar with Young Avengers. Um, His Spider-Man, like the webbing on the suit, looks like it's actually like cut it, into the suit. Like I like how it in every in every panel it looks that way. Yeah. It is like it really contours to the body too. I mean that's kinda of weird to say, but like it it looks like really well done. But he still puts in like little wrinkles when he's moving his arms or he's like in that Spider Man pose where his knees is up and his arms are bent and stuff. <laughs> like you still see wrinkles in the costume. And what I got when I finally opened the book to when we we're gonna talk about it, like the cover I thought was just Spider Man on a side of a building. But the building has Doc Ock's tentacles. It's got Rhino. It's got mm. all of his old yeah. villains there. <laughs> and, the lizard. And I was like, "Oh man, like that's a really sweet cover. It, it's a cool. It's a cool. It's cover. a cool cover. It's a cool cover. Yeah. Especially when you uh, get the, after reading the book and you look at it, you go, "Oh, I get it." <laughs> yeah, honestly, I didn't pay that much attention to the cover because I, I did what you did. I just saw Spider Man like on the side of a building. But then there's also a backup story in this one. Did, and did you guys read that one? I did. Uh, no. What's the backup? No, the, it's oh, the yeah. Stacey it went to Gwen Yes, yes. Yes, I did. Um, because it's her waking up and being like, oh, well, hey, Jekyll. I don't know if I should take this blue pill, Morpheus. Uh, what I did like about the backup story, I thought it was a little slow, it was a little boring. Yeah. But they drew it like the 70s comic book like when Gwen mm-hmm. Stacy died it looks exactly drawn like that style from the 70s mm-hmm. no they, they captured I think they captured the look well um man I, I don't know last time I seen a clone Gwen Stacy was just that was she was shacking up with Norman Osborn for some reason no that was um like their daughter it was the daughter of no, it's like the clone daughter. Yeah, clone daughter of Gwen Stacy and Norman Osborn. It yeah, just... it was like I think J. Michael Straczynski did that arc. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a while ago. Now I don't. Yeah. Remember. I remember reading it because that's when I was trying to kid myself into being like, yeah, I was Spider Man fan. Look, <laughs> I read the book. I have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I I'm glad you really like this book, John, because I I don't want to say it was on the fence, but I was kind of like, no, it was. It was a book. I read it. I'm looking forward to number two. But you really kind of sold it to me that I was like, yeah, this is something I should be amped up a little bit more about. Good. Keep buying so it for me. I don't <laughs> have that 80s affinity for Spider-Man. So 90s? I don't have that 90s affinity for Spider-Man. So I'm out. I just hope Cardiac shows up. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> you know who is showing up? Because it's the next book we're talking about with Prowler, number the Prowler. one. Prowler. Um, I have no idea who this character is. He was an inventor. And he's the and uncle of Miles story. Morales, right? Um, that's the ultimate. Oh, ultimate prowler. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, Hobie Brown, he was kind of a ne'er-do-well and then fell in line with Spider-Man, um, kind of reformed. And he was dead. Now he's back, and he's working for the Jackal, but he's still kind of a good guy. He just can't shake wanting to help people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Written by Sean Ryan, art by Jamal Campbell. 
I bought this because in the 90s, I really just liked the Prowler. He was just so bizarre. It's just like a fun character. Um, that when I saw they were doing a Prowler spinoff from Clone Conspiracy, I was like, all right, well, I'm already going to be reading the book. Might as well pick up the Prowler miniseries. Uh, and I have to say, I was actually pleasantly surprised by this. It was a good recap of who the Prowler lo- was, because by the end of the book, I'm like, okay, so he's definitely a 90s character. <laughs> definitely he, a 90s character. He, he every once in a while dressed up like Spider-Man to like help Peter Parker keep his secret identity, but they never really tell me whether or not he knows Peter Parker is Spider-Man. He just says, oh, I dressed up like Spider-Man every once in a while to keep his secret identity safe, and like he goes out and he's talking to Madame Mask, who is definitely Madame, a 90, Web. Madame Web, who's definitely a 90s character, because she was in the cartoon series when it got really bizarre and weird. I think she actually might be like a Stan Lee character. Ugh, that was... But she's the one that pulls all the different Spider-Men from all the different dimensions to battle all the the symbiotes in the cartoon series. But she's dead too, and they get brought back. So basically, anybody that's Jekyll's bringing back everybody. He brought back everybody. Everybody. Apparently so. He brought back Jekyll Lantern, one of my favorites. He's he's a busy dude. He hasn't been doing anything since the nineties, except for bringing back these villains, digging up old corpses and. I mean, just everybody part of Peter's life. Mm-hmm. And it makes you kind of think of, like, who is this jackal? Who is the jackal in this? Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, everything about this, because you get a little more of the jackal in this book than you do in the Clone Conspiracy book. Yeah. Um, I thought the book was standalone if it wasn't tied to Clone Conspir- Con- Conspiracy, I probably would have picked up this book. Um, mm. I think, Chris, if it wasn't tied to the clone conspiracy, you would have picked up the book, too. I, I would have, but it just it kind of sells it a little bit more. Uh, but the book, it's a good read. If it wasn't attached to the clone conspiracy, I still like it. I still dig the look of the book. I like the updated costume a lot. Yeah. It's still really just that 90s purple and green gaudy, but it makes more sense now than it did back then. Yeah. And I mean, it it looks good. It makes me it makes me interested in this character because he is that character that rides that good and evil, but he is more to the good, and he has a weird sense of honor, and that's why he's working for the Jekyll, and he doesn't have anything else to do, and he gets to be a masked hero, kind of. You know, if I'm in control of the bad guys, then. I'm in control of the bad guys. I know what they're doing kind of a thing. Uh, I enjoyed the book. I liked the art. I thought it is fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and uh, written by Sean Ryan, who I recognize the name, but I didn't know what he did uh, until I just looked him up. And he wrote Nova, the uh, oh. the Nova arc that started you buying the book, Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I can kind of see that now. Yeah, that the fan of the '90s comics, but trying to do something more. And I have to say, I like the artwork a lot in this. I don't know if it's bolstered by the coloring, but everything's like really bright, really clean. It reminds me of that watercolory kind of. Uh, of who was the artist that 
was uh, Francis Manipal kind of had like that watercolory, but this is a little bit more structured than his artwork. Yeah, but digital paint styles did X Men for a while, and did then jumped over to Green Lantern for a while, and we didn't really like them because everything was a little too washed out. It starts with an A. I don't know. Less Akira Akura. I I honestly can't remember. There's this Iceman cover that was really good that he did. Oh, Salvador La Roca. La Roca. Yeah, Salvador La Roca. That's what this reminds me of. It reminds me a lot of Fraser Irving. I can see that. No. It, like, the, just like the almost like flatness of the artwork, but everything's still really like highlighted in the color. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Chris sees it. I don't see I it. See, I can see it. Um, I don't know. I was just looking at the panel where he's talking to the cops. It's um, page five. I think that was the one I was just on. Yeah. But I showed Paul, and he was like, no... Mm-hmm. There's not enough jowls and like right underneath the eyes, like just bagginess of any of the characters. G- Pretty sure Irving has a lot of baggy eyes and then like a lot of like weird chinny things going on. No, I, I I enjoyed this book. Um, I think number two came out already. I haven't picked it up yet. I completely forgot to buy books last week so i gotta catch up on a couple different things but yeah this this is one that i kind of want to see a little bit more of um i'm on board for the miniseries i don't know if i would pick up like a full like ongoing for this but it's it's captured my attention two is not out okay because it didn't offer me to buy it for you (laughs) oh um champions is the one that came out then yes yes because that's one that was Oh, are we talking about Champions next? No, uh, we, we can talk about Champions next. I mean, it's further down my typed up list, but yeah, oh, we, no, we let's, can talk about let's, Champions. Let's follow your list, because I'm just sitting at a this, page full of books. Well, do you want to in- introduce Champions be- so I can take a drink quick? <laughs> Chris, let's have Paul introduce Champions. Uh, I don't have it open, so let's not. Who has Comixology open? I was sitting down. Do you not look at the books as we talk about them, Paul? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I use my memory. Podcasting 101. Champions, written by Paul's favorite, Mark Wade, and art by Chris's favorite, Roberto Ramos. Uh, and this is putting the team together. This is the teenage characters of the Marvel Universe coming together to form a new team. Uh, these aren't characters that you'd see in Young Avengers. They're not characters you'd see in Runaways. This is Miss Marvel teaming up with uh, Spider-Man. Miles Morales. And Nova. Sam. Winford? Sam. Sam something. Winchester? No, that's that's, uh, (laughs) Supernatural. Uh, The new totally awesome Hulk. Artemis Chow. And the teenage... Viv. Viv. uh, Vision's daughter. From the weird Vision... Which I've heard really good things about, so I think I feel it was like... Up for Eisen- it's up for I- it was yeah, up for Eisenhower. It was up for I read the first one, and it was kind of just dull. Yeah. But the the series, I think, crossed the line any comic book awards it was up for nominations with. Uh, but this is Miss Marvel getting sick and tired of the Avengers bullshit. And being yeah, like, you know... I, I like the fact that like after like they had this huge fight with the Wrecking Crew... Mm-hmm. And everyone's just like, okay, well, that's done. And she's like, well, aren't we going to like clean up and help people? And then everyone's just like, nah. Well, we don't know how to do that. We're not structural engineers. But yeah, but how about that 
food truck. We can definitely help out a food truck, right, Sam? Sam's like, no, nah, we got we got other other things to do. I, I'm Captain Falcon America. So I gotta fly off, and then he does, and then she quits the Avengers yeah. to form mm-hmm. her own team, right, Chris? And yes. Who just? Uh, well, I think it was also worth noting because I didn't read any of the Avengers when it was Miss Marvel, Nova, and Spider Man on that team. But I guess they left already. Mm-hmm. And when she comes to like her, her two friends, like their teammates, and I think friends first, and she's ultimately just like, "Oh no, I like I left," and they're just kind of like taken aback by it because she was the one that was always going to toe that line. Because she has, a, she's a super uh, superhero fan, uh, fan girl. Like that's. Yeah, she wasn't. She, she's living the dream. She quit the Avengers and wasn't doing anything except for eating potato chips and writing fanfic. And I know she's a young character because she texts her friends at like nine forty. <laughs> Paul's in bed usually. <laughs> and to like actually meet up. And she's and she's like, yeah, I'll totally meet up with you in an hour. So that means that they're meeting like at eleven o'clock at night, guys. That is so late. On a school night? <laughs> On a school night. I can't do that. Their meetup starts at 11? I'm not 22 anymore and sleeping through college. Uh, <laughs> Herberto Ramos' art is really good, because you get the straight-up just Herberto Ramos for the main story, but, like, the flash pack with her on the Avengers, everything's got, like, a darker yeah. shadowing to it. And that was when I was like, oh, man, he would be awesome on, like, a serious book where he was a little more kind of grounded. Nope. Don't but, want him grounded. But I don't know, like, that bottom page with, like, yeah. Captain America, Falcon, Vision, and him, mm-hmm. like, it looks so good. The art it's... looks great. The action stuff was great. I love his I love his style. Like when he gets in with the kids, and it's got a better co- it, the coloring's better. It's not as sketchy, but I like that kind of that serious like look with him. Yeah. He's just like a solid artist, and he's one of those ones that, um, John, I think you said it like right at the beginning. Like one of my one of my favorites, and it's because of stuff like this. Like he just has a fun, fantastic storytelling about him, and like. He draws some characters I actually haven't really read too much of because I don't read the Hulk books, so I haven't really seen the Amadeus show Hulk and everything. I mean, we read the first issue of Vision, but I don't know Viv. Nope. <laughs> like, I mean, Paul, you're a Nova fan, but I I don't read Nova. No. Yeah, and I think he captures what they're doing over at on the Nova book well. You know, it's his voice is dead on. Like, he's going to be the one that's reluctant the most reluctant to team up, it seems, because he's got his own stuff going on. He's got his own mom to worry about. He's uh, kind of probably the most loner-ish off this team, which is surprising because you have a Hulk. But this Hulk teams up with, you yeah, know, his Hulk sister. Hulk has, like a, like, a buddy. Yeah. yeah. That does the operations, keeps in his earpiece. So. And we, we do see the team going on a mission, and it's something just kind of so ground level it's like a human trafficking thing where they're just trying to save people and also uh, save miners really brings... first you know first they go save miners and there's a panel actual miners 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because they're, uh, they're not young people to recruit the Hulk. In order, right? In order to recruit the Hulk, they they team up with him to uh, save these people trapped in a mine. Uh, and there's the one panel where it's like uh, Sam Nova says, "Bro, did we just kill the Hulk?" And like Miles Morales has this like jinkies look upon his face <laughs> even though you can't see his face and Humberto Ramos does, does it so well I wanted to chime in on that for the art part and now let's go to the child trafficking because that was dark but also really good because they just tell their story yeah it, it it's a really good book and I think this is kind of one of those books that only someone like Mark Wade could write because he can bring a gravity to a situation and still have it be light and fun. Like this book makes sense. It's not just the team heroes being like, "Hey, let's be heroes on our own. Let's do our own thing." Like Miss Marvel, like she makes a decision and it's completely warranted. Like I can completely see where she's coming at with me. Like, no, like we're heroes in the respect that like we stop bad guys, but do we actually like save anybody? Yeah, it's it's a good book. It's what you expect, especially from Mark Wade taking on this idea. And what what it is is more like it's like the innocence of these characters are still there. They're not jaded or yeah. If he's putting on a jadedness of those I, characters for the book. I do want to say that one of the things I love about Runaways is all of those characters are so jaded. But Mark Wade does a great job of delivering a good story, and that's what this is first. It's a great way of putting the team together, because like the next issue is when you're going to get Cyclops, and I, I forget who else they kind of give you that they're going to add. But it was a good team-up. All those characters. I didn't even realize like Totally Awesome Hulk was a young younger kid like that. Yeah, I, I didn't know either. But I don't read Hulk stuff. It, yeah, and the Hulk stuff in this wouldn't make me want to pick up... Uh, it, it. He's the character in this that I don't care about their outside lives, where everyone else who I've read stuff from them, I care about their outside lives, I care about what they're doing in other books, so it's interesting for them to be teamed yeah. up. Except for Viv. But, you know, I, think, I feel like she's just like, hey, Vision's got a daughter. Um, Paul? Paul's out of the room right now. Oh, okay. Well, I'll give kind of like my closing thoughts. Um, I've always loved the teen teams. You know, your Teen Titans, Runaways, Young Avengers. And I think this is kind of a worthwhile follow-up to all of those books. It does hit kind of a different note from those other teams. I think if I had to compare it to anything, it'd be closer to a Teen Titans-style book more than anything else. Um... But it's, it's a lot of characters that I like that I'm not reading their solo books. I know Paul enjoys reading Nova. Miss Marvel is one of our favorite books, and it swept some of our Johnsy Awards like two years ago when it started coming out. Uh, I love seeing that character, even though I haven't followed her recently. But having everyone together in a book written by Mark Wade with one of my favorite artists on it, yeah, like this is something that I'm definitely looking forward to number two. Uh, definitely. Paul? It's 
probably the my favorite book of the ones that we read. Right? I have an affinity for Sam and uh, Nova and also Miss Marvel, so this is them playing off each other. And Miles Morales, I didn't read Ultimate Spider-Man, but I think the three of them are playing off each other well. I'm not that interested in the young Scott Snyder scumming on the scene. Really don't Scott care. Snyder? Scott Snyder? Scott Summers? <laughs> Scott Summers. I would be interested in Scott Snyder. Not... Nah, you know what? Mark Wade does such a good job. We got this new team member. What did you do? <laughs> Write Batman really well. Oh, oh, okay. We love Batman. We're Marvel, though, right? Oh, yeah, we're still Marvel. He's just over there writing for us. Um, Mark Wade does a great job making all his characters young, younger. Like Daredevil, what was so great about it was him like being having all that history but not being weighed down by it. Mm -hmm. And it's coming across as more fun and just younger. And he's doing that here with teens. (laughs) But teens that are also maybe in college, because if it's it's not the clock on the East Coast, that means it's at the earliest 5 o'clock on the West Coast. There's no teen that would still be in high school texting. Um, Unless it's detention. Until it's like six o'clock. I don't know. You're pawing it. <laughs> of course I am. The the thing is like last month I we am read. Paul. <laughs> I have a I have a few <laughs> turn of phrases named after me. Uh, we read Teen Titans mm-hmm. Rebirth last month. This is better, teens. This is yeah. way it's way better. The whole story it's not this this story. Is not like cliche y, where the mm-hmm. other story felt to me like kind of cliche. It's a story we've seen before and how they pull the team together. This one is still has that like, hey, we're putting a team back together, but they're doing it for like the right reasons. You, they, and they showed you the reason. Hey, we, I still want to do this. I want to work with you guys because yeah. we're all on the same level. We actually want to help the people. Hashtag champions. So that work, those two panels are three two pages work for you guys because I thought that's like this is the moment where they could like jump the shark with this like she's giving her overly impassioned speech you know her being Miss Marvel and you know we need to be better and it's kind of it could be a little like the writer talking a little directly to the reader a little too much about where his views of the world and his views of comics and for what and I think Mark Wade just skim that line but stayed on the right side of it where it worked for me and then even with you know I, I don't like it when hashtag like they like overplay the whole hashtag thing in comics but it still stayed just on that one side it skimmed it but I think it still worked how, how about uh, you no, I agree with you because when I read it it was one of those things that I saw and I was like uh, but that that's kind of how our world works now and yeah like obviously if you have a young superhero appearing on television like that would happen you know that's hashtags pop up and they become a thing like in the moment um so i would i would agree with you yeah it didn't get me like pumping my fist and wanting to go hashtag champions anywhere but it's still but but it didn't make me like being one of your best friends for how do you want to think about how many years now this is one of those things that would ruin a book for you normally. Yeah. Like, you would enjoy it leading up to it, and then at the end you'd be like, that people are already hashtagging it? 
Come on. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like it wasn't a cosplay. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't a cosplay Avengers. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't out of character. It made sense, and it he was able to make it makes that line. sense. For, it, it skirted makes, a line. Yeah. It does, and it's showing the other characters who are going to appear in the book, but I hope are not the core group. Mm-hmm. They're people who will show up and help with something here or there. I hope the core three is the core group is that three. I think know? it's going to be. I'm I'm okay with that. Um, if they rotate really, Hulk out, I really like Miles Morales. <laughs> Kamala Khan is a great character on her own. So yeah, if they rotate, I'm fine with that being like the new Trinity or the Champions. Yeah, yeah. I, I want them to be baseline, and I want them to rotate out all the other characters because you know Marvel should you know make this make it a almost a flagship book to showcase the younger characters that you can get into other than your regular Hulk, Thor, Captain America, Iron Man. Indeed. Um, so next book I have on my list here is probably the most John-friendly of the books. And this is uh, DC Comics, part of their Young Animals imprint. Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. Written by Gerard Way with art by Michael Avon Oming, um, who you may know from his work on stuff like Powers with Brian Michael Bendis. Um, John, do you want to introduce this one too? Yeah. Because honestly, like when I saw this book, I was like, John's probably going to really enjoy well, this. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to put those words in your mouth, but. If, if we were to look back, this is the book that I said, Chris, what are you looking, what are you going to buy? That one? Okay, yeah. All right, I'll pick something else because this would have been on my list of uh, picking it up. And this is Cave Carson, who has, has had, a cybernetic eye. He has, he has a, a cybernetic, cybernetic eye. eye. Uh, All right, there for you. This is a character who has actual history in the Marvel universe or in the in DC, the DC universe. Yeah. Uh, but it's a character that I don't know of, and this book lets you know that there is a past to this character. But you're jumping on in the point where he has just lost his wife, his daughter, who as a young girl probably had something to do with the book, but now she's a college student um, in that kind of age range. And this is a guy who's not working as much as he used to in his adventuring job, maybe to be a family man, but now something is pulling him back in from his past that we are not ultimately aware of. Uh, art in this book, I really enjoyed. It captures the dream world that you get that is his cybernetic eye with the everyday artwork. The one thing that I don't understand is he says, tomorrow I'm going to uh, work to meet with my boss and he just has a little scruff on his face, and then the next day when he goes to see his boss, he's got a full beard. Uh, that's I, how morning works. When you are morning, I, your beard just grows. grows. Yeah. I, know I also a, think that's kind of um, Michael Oming's just art style. Everything he does is it's very flat, it's very clean, it's very angular. He doesn't show a lot of detail in his art. He kind of just more lets the story speak for itself. So I think it's hard to just go from 5 o'clock shadow to, like, next morning shadow without it being a beard for him. Right. But yeah, I, I caught that. Too. It's No, it's like, 
he barely has, like, he doesn't even have, like, hair for the upper lip. And then it's just, like, full beard. It's like what, like, even I have more beard hair right now, but, like, Paul has a full beard going on, Mm -hmm. and I trimmed mine super short a week and a half ago. And it's going from my face to Paul's face. (laughs) It's not that anyone else can get that except Paul and me who are in the room Mm -hmm. together. Yeah, but we're also not splunkers that mine the mineral. I, I don't think the mineral is going to cause you to have a full beard uh, by tomorrow. It, it uh, fuels engines. It does this, that, Listen, and the other if thing. If you said it was his cybernetic eye that caused his beard to grow, I would give you some leeway here. Yeah, but the mineral does a lot of stuff. They list it in one of the panels that I'm trying to find now, but it could not save his wife. But is his wife dead, or is it a weird conspiracy? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I have no idea who this character is from his history at all, but reading this book, it reminded me of something like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, almost like kind of Johnny Questy, because the idea behind it is... An adult version of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a dude and his family that went on adventures underground. Like, it's... That's all you need to know going into it. And here they are, you know, ten years later. Wait, in caves? And look at what life has done to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the book. I don't necessarily know if I would read more of it, though. It's so and, weird. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. No, and I, w- I was kind of looking to John to, like, sell this one to me or kind of just take my side and be like, yeah, it's it's an interesting thought, but it is what it is. Well, I think I think a little bit of it is not knowing Cave Carson. But it looks like Cave Carson knows all those characters that you like who aren't prominent characters in the DC world. Because, like, all of a sudden you have him talking to um, Dr. Magnus, and I'm like, oh, I wonder if the the metal men exist in this world. And then I turn the page, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, like yeah. hanging out there on, like, the circle couch. <laughs> and it's like, oh, hey, Cave. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. And like, uh, what is it? Wild Dog, Mad Dog. Yeah, Mad Dog is there. He's he's there. He's friends with him. He's gonna bring the dog. And you he's see kind the... of, he's kind of the uh, in Johnny Quest. Who's the white-haired guy that always saves the day? Race, Race, Race Bannon. Race. He's like if you mixed uh, like the Punisher and Casey Jones together. Yeah. Well, hockey mask. Okay. Well, it's like a hockey jersey too. Uh-huh. Uh, but then he's got a ton of guns to kill people with. Um, but it is like, uh, it, it has an interesting thing that this character who you're kind of going into this world with and following is going to be taking you through like a roadmap of those crazy characters in the DCU. DCU adjacent, maybe? Uh, yeah, like, but I mean, like, Metal Men were a big yeah. part of the DCU. Mm-hmm. The late 80s, 90s, like, Mad Dog was a character in that. So I think you're going to see different characters here or there. I mean, like, would it would it have been a bigger hit maybe if it was the Guardian who was his friend that was working on the car? Right. You know, it's, it's that mm-hmm. kind of character. It's the character, like you said, it's the race band character. Who's not being used right now that you can throw in there that's going to be probably pretty cool in this book? I mean, it's putting the team together, but you don't know that the team's coming together. Because I think his daughter is probably going to f- start filling in that role, maybe, of his wife on this adventure. And it's going to be this father and daughter who are a bit estranged. 
but they're going to come together in this book. It's going to be about a father, a daughter, and their psycho best friend. <laughs> okay. I, I actually enjoyed this most out of all the young animal books that we've read. I thought it was a lot more grounded. I think it's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, like, I'm, like it's the most grounded. It, like, he uses a drill to kill an alien in it. <laughs> a tentacle monster, and then he quickly calls his friend Mad Dog. Uh, but it is... It's the most grounded. But also, Paul, it, it's a family book. And yeah. you're always kind of drawn more towards that, like, hey, it's a close-knit family of superheroes, or in this case, adventurers. Mm-hmm. And adventurers that... How they live. Instead of going into outer space, they go exactly opposite and go underground. Underground. And it's about trying to find, you know, closure with his, you know, with his wife because he's having these nightmares about come be buried with me. You know, it's his wife and some other, maybe some, uh, what's, what does he call the, 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 not the mongrels, but the. Oh, like the weird, like, subterranean people. Yeah. Like that yeah. Mal, mal, Maldrins, Maldrins, Muldrug, Muldrug, Mazra. It doesn't is matter. Is that Mazra the name of the character that did this? But um, you know, is it a weird female version of that that he's thinking about being buried in the dirt along with them as well? Yeah, it's it's okay. It because of that, it's and because it's underground, it's I think it's more grounded. I, I think it's. <laughs> Yeah, you're right, Chris. It's probably that family aspect that's drawing me in more so than anything any of the other books. And um, wacky scientists having a wacky science adventure with family, I'm I'm in. It's I'm of, not getting that from Fantastic Four because they don't exist anymore. It's it is a good book. If it was a super light week and I saw issue two is there, I think I would pick it up. But it's definitely I would definitely get it in trade. I would I, definitely I want this more than. Um, what was it? Shade? I, I still think Doom Patrol is just a lot of fun. Um, but this book has some fun, too. Like, when he caves out for dinner with his daughter, and she's like, I don't know if your eyes scanning me right now. He's like, yeah, it's always scanning. Like, he just like, oh, it looks like you've been drinking. You need to change your tire. Like, it, it's got some fun little beats to it. And I haven't read anything drawn by Michael Oming in a while. But I feel like he's stepped it up a bit in this book. And I don't know if it's because, like, the colors are a little bit more vibrant than I'm used to seeing in something like the, Powers when I was reading that. <clears throat> the colors are super poppy for, but, for him. Yeah, it really pops, and that's exactly the word I was going <clears> to <throat> use for it. And and this little bit of style changing and the classic kind of comic booky stuff with the dots doing the coloring or shading and stuff. Like, the book's got a really great feel, and it... I think it's almost expected of, you know, a guy that's been drawing comic books for 15 years who he's got his, he, you know, kind of worked on his own style, hasn't really had a job too much, and knows that, hey, this is my chance to really shine again, to get back into the world of comic books. Uh, yeah, I, I, I liked the book. I enjoyed the look of the backup, uh, it made me worry that we're going to have uh, the Wonder Twins coming up soon. <laughs> I didn't even read. Once I got to Wonder Twins, I'm like, nope, ejection uh, seat. I, I, I didn't read it. I looked through it though, 
Um, and I appreciated it for what it was because I remember getting the superpowers action figures and then having them come with that like tiny little comic book that was thrown in the blister pack with them. Hmm. Ultimately, you, like it didn't matter. It wasn't a great story, but it reminded me of that. Yeah. Did you uh, did you read the Batgirl one? The what? There was Wonder Twins and then a Batgirl one. What? Oh, I, I don't think I saw the Batgirl one. Yeah, Batgirl. I, I think I stopped reading then. Well, you guys failed at it. You okay, failed I, at it. I, I, I was, failed at uh, Kate was, Carson book. Was it that good Batgirl story? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it looked pretty cool. It, it was pretty cool. It, it's pretty cool. It's one page? It's one page. Oh. oh, okay. No, yeah, I did see that because I remember the Joker tank now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm I thought it was, it was fun. It looked good. Um, yeah, Cave Carson, it's, it's a, it's a plus. It's a good book. I liked it. If I didn't pick up number two, I would probably pick up the trade or in like two months, pick up two and three to read together. You know, like I'd kind of want to read them almost as a grouping. I I agree. I I would want to read more of this book, whether it's in trade or like picking up everything else on sale uh, through Comixology. Reading it all at once. I would like this in trade as well. Paul, was there a book that you kind of wanted to uh, well, take we, a look at and introduce? We got or? three books, huh? Left. We got uh, uh, four: Jessica Jones, Cage, Tiki Room, and uh, He Man Thundercats. Well, I don't want to introduce Cage, but maybe <laughs> let me try to pull up the Enchanted Tiki Room real quick. Uh, I don't. Up oh, here it is. Found it from Marvel. Number one, The Enchanted Tiki Room by Adams. Let's turn the page. Ah, it doesn't give me the... Um, uh, John, John Adams. John J-O-N, Adams. Not J-O-H-N, like Ooh. the founding father. Uh, artist, or your partner on the show. Riccio Dominguez is uh, on art, and uh, cover artist was Brian uh, Kessinger. And uh, this tells the story of the famed attraction at Disney World. One of the first attractions to have uh, air conditioning. That is very true. In Disney World. Because of all the computer power that was housed to make this the animatronics work. Uh, I learned that from a little-known podcast. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I, I think it's like com. If you want to learn more, you should go to com. Uh, the N. I letter. also just remember this being like, oh, Chris has got a great story about this as we were like waiting in line, and then Chris told us the story when we were waiting in line for the ride. <laughs> I, I love the Enchanted Tiki Room. Um, it is really cool. It's fun. It's kitschy. It's it's a kitschy fun that makes it great. But Chris, you were probably going to say something better. No, um... <laughs> th- th- <laughs> Probably, I think you did a fantastic job setting it off. Um, yeah, this is the Enchanted Tea Room. It's the next part of the Disney Kingdoms line coming out from over at Marvel Comic Books, telling the tales behind some of the world's biggest attractions at Disneyland or Walt Disney World. Um, Enchanted Tea Room holds the distinction of being one of two attractions actually named after Walt Disney, the other being the um, Carousel of Progress. Uh, because these are projects that he personally oversaw and sat down with the Imagineers and was like, here's what I want to do. Um, and another fun fact, 
the Enchanted Tiki Room is actually designed originally as a dining area where you were supposed to sit down, you'd order your meal, but there'd be birds all around the restaurant that you'd be able to talk to and they would talk back. It was meant to be like an interactive experience. But in the planning stages, they were kind of like, do we think guests would want us to be listening into their conversations as they sat down to dinner and then have a bird be like, wow, it sucks that your wife just left you, dude. Here's a, here's a bird pun. Is that the actual example? That, that wasn't the actual example. That was me modernizing it. But they were, they were basically like, oh, we, we don't know if like we should be listening into people as they're talking. Um, fantastic idea. But then it eventually became just a sit-down attraction where you go into this enchanted tiki room where the tikis bring the birds and the plants to life, and then they put on a show for you. Mm-hmm. The tiki room that we have here on the island is a little bit different because – This is an island where people come to to solve whatever their problems are. And we're introduced to three such, like, families or people. You have to be invited to this island, too. It's not that anybody can go. It's like the island mystically chooses the people that need to be saved. or As islands are wont to do. Mm. Like Paradise Island. Like Lost. Or Fantasy Island. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, Fantasy Island. That's the one I was thinking of. The plane, the plane. Because you actually have, like, a picture of, like, those two characters, like, in a background somewhere. Uh, Montalban and... Ricardo Montalban. Oh, they're there. Will do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this this was a book that I was excited to see announced. I love the attraction. It's one that I will gladly do anytime I'm in the Magic Kingdom down here. But ultimately, I didn't know how they would wind up selling it as a comic book because there's really just no through line for the attraction besides like, Hey, you sit down, watch birds and flowers sing to you and then go about the rest of your day. And and even reading the book, I'm still kind of like, I don't know where this is really going to wind up going. It's a little ham fisted with like, we're going to sell the story. John did not enjoy this book. <laughs> He's like, no, but you're like, it's a little ham-fisted. It's very ham-fisted. <laughs> With all the it's, characters. It's very ham-fisted. And it's over the but, top. Oh, go ahead. And then I had to remember, like, this is more of like a kid's book than it is for me, the adult comic book slash Disney fan. Not that I think that makes it a better book, but I can see where, you know, kids would probably enjoy reading this book. You know what this book should have been? One of the main birds from the Tiki Room gets kidnapped, and the other birds have to go get it. You mean Rio? Basically. (laughs) From DreamWorks, Rio? I said this this to my wife as well, and she said, they made a movie of that. I'm like, yeah, it fucking works. You know what doesn't work? This book. Because every character who comes in here, I don't care. I don't like them. I don't like them at all. And, like, the kid who is there because, uh, at, at first you think that, the girl of his dreams broke up with him, but he broke up with her. And she was bossy. She was a bitch. So it's like, what the fuck, dude? You made it. You did it. Now you're on an island, and there's an old bag that wants some dick. Go do it. Take your cornrows and go shake them in her hair. Because it's, like, stupid. And then the lady's like, oh, dog, why don't you talk? And the dog's like, maybe I got nothing to say. I'm like... Well, that really sucks. Like, I waited all these pages for the dog to talk, and he's like, nope, not going to do it. Well, you knew he was going to be angry at the woman. 
and the yeah, kid she seems like a bitch. And the kids suck. The parents suck. <laughs> the guy who's the intern is an idiot, and mm-hmm. he sucks. Like I, the best part was when the the birds were sitting around talking, and you know what happened? The one bird ran away. I hey, agree. we insulted the bird. He ran away. We can't do a show without Miguel. We gotta go get him. Oh no! Look, he took a bus. He's on a bus. We got wings, but we have him flied. We've been sitting in the sticky room forever. Let's get on this motorcycle and go. Better story. Bunch of birds driving a motorcycle. Come on. I agree. It's John. a little ham-fisted. <laughs> it could have been better. <laughs> no, it, it really could have been better. And honestly, my favorite part of the book was actually having the four birds from the attraction sitting in their dressing room just talking to me and like, hey, why, why don't we do anything else in our show? Like, mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, is this going to be about race cars again? Like, yeah, no, race trucks. Race trucks. Like, that was the best part of the book. Yeah, it's, this is a book that it doesn't have to exist. I, I'm sad that they went this route with it because the Tiki Room, it's a Disney, it's a Disney legend. Like, this is one of those attractions that it does bear Walt's name on it because he was so proud of it. Um, also, interesting little fact, I don't remember if I mentioned this to you guys before or if I talked about it on the show, uh, the Enchanted Tiki Room required its own separate admission price when you were in the parks. Like, you would pay a dollar twenty-five, whatever, to get into Disneyland, but if you wanted to go see the Enchanted Tiki Room, you would have to pay an additional 75 cents because Walt Disney um, uh, Industries or his like own private company owned that attraction. It wasn't actually part of the rest of Disneyland. So if you wanted to get to it, it was its own ticket. You mentioned it on an episode of Parks and Rec. Thank you. you I have not on this show. Forever. You told I'm glad you're going back reading them. You 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 told us when we were at the at the tiki room. Thank you. I almost turned around this, because I'm an economics major and I'm like, well, I'm not going to pay extra. And you're like, no, no, Paul, it's free now. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, free. you're already in line. Like, is this okay. the last point for this, me to get out of the ride? <laughs> yep. This book may be just for a younger audience than me. But I don't think so. I, I feel like it needs to be just something that anyone and everyone can pick up because that's exactly what the attraction itself is. Anyone can go in there, sit down, and listen to the birds sing and be like, oh, you know, that was fun. Now let me go get my Dole because it's 90 degrees out and I want a cool, like, tasty pineapple ice cream treat. Everything you said about it being originally going to be an eating area makes me so much more excited to go see the... What's the place that has all the cool tiki drinks at the oh, Polynesian? Um, Trader Sam's right over the yeah, Polynesian. Because that's basically what they wanted, right? Like, yeah. Where except there's no microphones like planted around the dining room to listen to you. Mm-hmm. That I know of. Well, there's well, a you know, like the okay. other thing about the tiki room is I mean they're based on like the famous singers, you know, Bing Crosby and these people like do parodies of those birds. Like uh, like almost like a one shot, like the story of the bird and how he got there. But make it of like one of the famous movies that those characters have been in, or in something to tie into those characters' lives or whatever. Like that would be more interesting because what this book should be about is the birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fun fact about those birds: 
did he notice that every bird has its own personality that is distinctly about a nationality, and their plumage represents that nation's flag? Very true. I learned that from Chris. (laughs) While in line for this attraction. (laughs) Basically, just go through the actual attraction. You have uh, Miguel. There's an American one. There's a Mexican one, and there's a German one. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it, it's not my favorite book from this week. It's not my favorite book of the Disney Kingdoms, which has kind of stuttered a little bit in its step um, from what it originally launched with stuff like uh, Secrets of the Weird and Figment. Um, did did Haunted, Ca- Haunted Castle, Haunted Mansion get any better? No. I drank a lot. Haunted Castle, Haunted Castle, Haunted Castle. Yeah. It's not great, but I'm going to say a book that was great and I really enjoyed. Jessica Jones, number one, coming out from Marvel Comics. And this was written by Brian Michael Bendis, the creator of the character, with art by Michael Gatos. And this is the story of Jessica Jones. You may know her from her hit Netflix show, Jessica Jones, or from the original comic book coming out, Alias. Uh, this is her getting out of prison and then trying to pick up the pieces of her life and just get back to business. And what's business? Being a private investigator. Uh, really interesting story. Brought me right in, even if I do have some questions about where this book takes place in the scope of the Marvel Universe. Because everyone's coming to her asking where her baby is and this is of course the child she has with luke cage who if you read power man and iron fist like there's still a happy family so i don't know which is actually like in canon hey this is where we stand with these characters uh but still i think an awesome story about what happens when you have a parallel universe folded into your universe and someone just doesn't remember who they are uh, yeah, I agree. I enjoyed this. Uh, I did like the one scene of uh, Miss Marvel, Spider-Man, and Nova going through in a panel, and I was like, hey, I just read that book. <laughs> uh, but no, it it does, I mean, the look of the book is, gre- is great. It fits the tone. I enjoyed that she has a Dazzler Live t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it's her trying to work case. It's her trying to get back in these things while everybody keeps spying huh. on her for... Like, working on a case that seems like there's superhero, uh, superheroes, maybe meta-humans, maybe uh, not meta-humans, but mutants or some sort of X-Factor involved? <laughs> this, this Paul, a- are you just waiting for Madrox to come back? <laughs> He's dead. He's not. This is... This book reminded me so much of X-Factor. I'm like, this book is everything that I loved about X-Factor that is just gone. Well, yeah, and it had been but, gone for years, and you kept reading it. Well, I it. kept on reading it. Yeah. Hoping it would come back. Uh, it's, I'm it's, like, this is the X-Factor book I've been uh, waiting for. This is that Madrix miniseries. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. No, and it exactly is. And this was probably one of my favorite books from this past month. Uh, I'm not a Jessica Jones fan. I enjoyed the TV show a lot. I'm looking forward to whenever season two comes out. But yeah, this book definitely hit that investigative uh, 
investigator note that I didn't think I was missing because I'm not Paul. Yeah. No, it was like as I was reading this book, I was like, "This is this is everything that I used to love about X Factor, except for the art. The art took me a little out of it when Jessica was talking to Jessica. Yeah, I, I'm like, oh, one's well, a little with brown hair, one has black, black hair, one's a little bit wavy hair, one's definitely straight hair. But when she first saw like, her on the building, I was like, wait, did she just? imagine herself on that building looking at her like i don't know who she's going and then she's like jessica gosh darn drew and i'm like no i'm confused because i always get their last names confused wait nope jessica jones that's what i'm reading okay so nope this is spider woman spider gosh darn woman oh good thing there was that next panel uh, well, you know what's funny is like the it's like the artist needed like a photo reference, and he was like, "Oh man, who should I use for uh, Spider Woman in this?" Jennifer Conley. Uh, Jennifer Conley, or the girl in apartment, or the B in apartment twenty three B, because I was like looking at it, and the one who, panel. Who played Jessica Jones. Yeah, <laughs> Jessica Jones. Yeah, I know. And I was just like, oh, I think he used her because the one panel is like, oh, it looks a lot like her. But yeah, the Conley does work too. Well, the straight black hair. <clears throat> makes you, I think, make you think of uh, Kristen Ritter. Yeah, Kristen Ritter. Yeah, Ritter. Yeah. But uh, I mean, like oh. Jessica Jones. Look at that. She, Paul pulling out a name for an actress. She dresses like <laughs> I wasn't on West. Wing. I don't want to say she dresses too little, bad, Chris. A little dumpy, but she wears more baggy clothes. She's got more of a fuller face. You know, I didn't have that too much of that problem. But aside from the fact that I thought I was talking to the movie, the TV version of herself. <laughs> um, no, I I did like this. I the one thread that I didn't like too much was the missing baby mm-hmm. and why she's not working on the case of the missing baby or did she give the baby you know like that's yeah. the thing that I, I it was a sensitive subject for me for some reason exactly uh, uh, that's the one turn off for me too and that's going to be the emphasis of the book and I was dead on for oh solving this one is he crazy or is he an actual person that's been swapped universes? And does he have an actual relationship to Peter Parker? Is this a clone of Peter Parker? Because we're in this weird Jekyll world now. I don't know. Like, that was brought back from the dead and replaced her husband. That's interesting to me, but the whole where's the baby thing, it's like, ugh. Makes, you know, I, I want them to be together and happy. And, uh, with the baby or, well, and, just, and that's what you have happening over in Power Man and Iron Fist because yeah. they they are the family. Like she's the one calling Luke in the middle of like them busting up some heads, being like, "Baby's crying. Like, where are you?" So I I just don't understand where this book's taking place, but it didn't necessarily ruin it for me. And I see that kind of being the overarching theme for whatever the first arc's going to be, while she's trying to get her feet back under her. And taking these cases. I don't know why she was in prison. No, no I don't know that either. <laughs> she was like, like her husband. Go. Falsely accused. Wrongfully convicted. Uh, I, I really dug this book, though. And it kind of made me want to rewatch the Jessica Jones show, because I've only seen it the, like once since it came out. But, Paul, did this make you want to maybe dip your toes into Jessica Jones? I've watched few episodes that Jessica Jones... It's just, once she... Once her and Power Man break up, I was out. 
because Power Man's the best part. Luke he Cage is back. Luke Cage is yes, the best part of that in it. steer uh, uh, that season because he's the only character. Did you watch uh, Luke Cage the TV series? No, not yet. Oh, oh it's, it's so out. Good. I can do it anytime. I can go. I can watch it. My favorite part was Luke Cage. You watch Luke Cage? <laughs> no, not yet. <laughs> um, I, I will say, Paul, in defense of the Luke Cage show, he's still very much the bright point in everything mm-hmm. else that's going on around him. Oh, good. Because besides, besides, like, Pops. Pops is just a cool character. But don't get attached to him. Oh. Spoilers, Paul. Spoilers. We ruined it for you. <laughs> Should have watched um, it. I was spoiling I, I, Doctor Strange left, right, and center for Chris, so. I, I think uh, it's a logical jump to our next book, which is Cage Number 1, coming out from uh, Marvel Comics. And this is written and drawn by Gendy Tartofsky. And if you recognize that name it's probably because you've watched cartoon network within the past 20 years because mm-hmm. he is the creator of a little show known as dexter's laboratory samurai or jack. samurai jack paul, paul you kind of fell more on the samurai jack things i like just dexter like, he's not one of the spumco original ren and snippy guys because <laughs> that's what this book reminded me of <laughs> um, but i this book was actually announced back in 2007 and never came out. And upon reading it, I thought it was just because of kind of the blatant like, black racism of the book. It, yeah, it's black exploitation. It's a black exploitation um, book set in the modern era, but definitely set during the black exploitation era of the 1970s. Though I they, thought that was actually like what held this book back, but upon further research. Um, Gendy Tartowski actually did this book under the stipulation that he can work on it at his own pace. Oh. And it was all done just like whenever he kind of wanted to get around to it. And he said in interviews, like, because people would ask him about it, they're like, hey, you know, what's, what's happening with your Luke Cage book? Where is it? And he's like, oh, I've, I've got it, you know, sitting in a drawer. I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. But then he was doing other, like, animated features and, Making money. Like that, that. He, he was doing like his day job, and then like this was kind of just like the passion project mm-hmm. that he would get to like when he, whenever he wanted. And then it it finally just kind of happened. So here we are now, sitting um, on I think it's a four issue miniseries. Um, but yeah, so he had very very Gendy Tarasovsky, and just like everything's very exaggerated, and a lot of like thick lines on it. I I enjoyed this book. I was uncomfortable throughout the whole book. <laughs> I loved how much of a dick and an idiot that the, he made Luke Cage. Like He's it, Johnny Bravo with superpowers. <laughs> Johnny Bravo in a tiara and yellow shirt. He's like, hey kids, oh, you're playing basketball? Let me try. Well, Broke no, your basket. No, gotta go. No, it's this. You got a new ball? Let me see that. And then he breaks it, and then he has that moment like dot, 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 and then he's like... Gotta go. <laughs> and that, that's the that's what I think they call in the screenwriter's room the kicking the cat moment, <laughs> where it's like, oh, this guy will even kick a cat. Like he's like, can you really root for him? No, but you're rooting I mean, against like, him. Like they're setting it up because he is that like clueless superhero kind of character. It is. It's Johnny Bravo. It's like powdered toast man. You know. It's it's. So exaggerated, over the top ridiculousness, mm-hmm. uh, and I—I <laughs> I think the most ridiculous part of it is when like he goes into Missy Knight's apartment 
And like Cyclops is there, like, where's she, Gray? Like blasting him, and then like Wolverine and Nightcrawler, like, uh, she left. And then Cyclops just starts crying. Well, no, it's like, Scott, she's gone, and it's like, Dark Phoenix, she died in space, and it's just like, oh. We read those issues, guys! No, well, we wouldn't have known what he was talking about if you hadn't made us read that months ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, Luke Cage says, no, she hasn't lived here for six months. And then he, and then Scott Snyder says, liar! Through the artwork of Batman. Uh, yeah, and even like with the the weird skinny guy in prison when he pulls him out, but he pulls him out of the <laughs> jail cell. Like, it's just like it's so bizarrely over the top and ridiculousness for like there's no reason like there's no, no reason for it, especially from like the Luke Cage we've gotten over the years. Even the Luke Cage like he's not in a costume in Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Like most of the time he's wearing a really nice looking suit. And then the the way we got him portrayed in uh, Luke Cage, the Netflix series, like he's a hardworking, serious man who takes care and looks at other people and wants to help. You know, in mm-hmm. the TV show, he wants to help Harlem. He wants to help everybody. And when he finds out that when he did try to help, he screwed things up. He goes and fixes it all. This is not that character. No, and it's. This is a guy that will never realize that he screwed anything up. Yeah. And it was... This is me in social uh, situations. This is me just awkwardly, like, trudging along, thinking I'm doing great. (laughs) It's you just being like, hey, guys, I just read this article. (laughs) Hey. Uh... That's exactly me. That's exactly how I talk. (laughs) I'm hanging out with people. It is... It's... It's it's fun. I like I, I liked it. It's just, it's so bizarre. It's not at all what I expected it to be. Because when I saw Gendy Tartofsky doing a Luke Cage series, I imagined it more like Samurai Jack. Yeah, and it it kind of turned into like uh, what you said, John, like the Spumco, just like crazy, like chins full of ground beef, like. <laughs> Like, just craziness. But then there's some, like, just weird, goofy little, um, little jokes on some of the panels. Like, it's, it, it's a fun read. I don't know if I necessarily want to read more. I think this book was like $4.99. Ooh. Yeah. It, and, but it's, I bought it just because, hey, it's a modern animation uh, legend <laughs> handling a book that he wanted to do. And we're um, making, Paul, Paul and John read seven books. Why not nine? Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you did. I, but it, it's one of those things. Like, I, I thought about maybe like dropping some of the books off from the list because I know there, there was a lot. But then every single one of them, I was like, oh, this is a book that I would want to sit down and talk with you guys about, like, just, like at you know Pizza Plant over like over dinner or a beer, you know, like. And that's what the show is. Like, it's us just talking about dumb shit that we like and i think this is something that would definitely come up in just our random conversations <laughs> talking about dumb shit we might like okay you do not talk ill about this book paul <laughs> this is crazy though this is eternia and third earth crashing into each other and he-man thundercats oh it's okay when the marvels or the dcs do it but you collide two uh, cartoons 
together and it's bad news. I'm not saying it's bad news. I'm just saying it's crazy. And this is... I already introduced the books. Go ahead. Go go for it again. I'm looking for the book to actually get the writer and artist. And I Um, I, I have it open. It was written by Rob David and Lloyd Goldfine with art by Freddie E. Williams II. Who knocks it out of the park. He did. He knocks it out of the park. Uh, a lot better than the cover art. I was very afraid with the cover art because it was so water painted, water colory, yeah. and almost not watercolor, but almost um, like colored pencil. Color pencil. Thank you, Chris. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's very, very light. <laughs> and this is coming from DC. Yeah, yeah DC. This, is a, this is an official DC comic book. <laughs> the He-Man stuff that they've been doing has been getting really good accolades. It's kind of like the. Um, what? I'm sorry. You mean He-Man? Uh, the Masters of the Universe. Uh, that, no, there's only one Master of the Universe when you meet him at the end of the book. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. But there is a moment where, like, Man of Arms is like, come on, Masters, to the guns! Like, uh, everything that, um, John said about reading Serenity, having it just be like, oh yeah, you know, it's going home. It feels like the show. I felt that way about this in the strangest way, except it makes a little bit more sense. The only thing I didn't like about this book was how ripped Adam was without being. Oh, He-Man. Adam was always like he super always, ripped. He always looked like He-Man outside of <laughs> just in a vest. Yeah, just be having clothes on. Because even I mean, the toy came. It was just the He-Man toy. Like a big shirt. Just. Painted white with like a cloth shirt on the outside, like it was oh. the same he figure as He Man. Like, and that's what they. I did, watched like, a Christmas special every year. You never see him as Adam in that. He's always He Man. Oh, maybe that's why. This, if you were a fan of He Man and or Thundercats as a child in the eighties, this has everything that you remember loving about that show. That. If you went back to and rewatched it as an adult, you're like, oh, God, that's terrible. Somehow, they're still able to just kind of like pay homage to that and just have it be just as crazy. But for some reason, it works. I don't understand it. It uh, works better. It does. I, I, I took a breath before reading this, being like, okay, I don't know, is it going to ruin my childhood? And the whole time through it, every little, little, even little nuance, like um, the hammerhead, the the guy with the spring legs who would bust through walls who's really short, being like, what's happening? I can't see. Everyone's too tall. You know, like, there were so many little jokes and little in like inside things that I was just like, Oh man, this is perfect. Or when when sorceress when sorceress appears, I'm like, that's not sorceress. Like I felt like I was yelling at my TV <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> and of course, like at some point, Lionel's gonna like get uh, advice from Jaga, and like they're all gonna be surprised that Jaga shows up. Like the dude has nothing better to do as like a panther ghost. I like that panthero. Of course, has a perfect vehicle for the situation. Yeah, of course, he's like, guys, no, let's load up in this thing. He's like, uh, I, got, I built you a new plane. I've been working no. on this for a while. I believe, I believe in the right tool for the right job. 
Check out one my of those plane. Books that it kind of looks like everything a cat. going against it, but somehow I really enjoyed it. Uh, and like especially like how the book starts, and it you kind of feel like it's all coming from Mumra's perspective. Because here we go. So Mumra to defeat the Thundercats collides worlds with Eternia to steal He-Man's sword because it's the only sword that can rival the Sword of Omens. So. Hey, he does it. He actually stabs Adam, and badass move, he starts <laughs> doing the He-Man chant to turn into He-Man with the swords in his chest. And he he's pulled, still touching it. And he pulls it out. He's He-Man. He's healed. Uh, Mumra gets away with the sword. But then what turns out, it's all from Skeletor's point of view, and he kills Mumra and takes his place. Awesome! It was so it was so good. I really really liked this, and like the like everything about it, I just kept going, oh oh. It was so so good. Like I was like a smile. To go about back to like He Man getting stabbed by the sword, and then just like later on in the book, Cringer's like. You got stabbed. He's just like, it's okay. <laughs> You're just like, you have no wounds, no scars. Hey, change is a powerful thing. My chum. <laughs> no, what he got? He goes, eh, never mind about that. That creature took my sword. <laughs> <laughs> I I really enjoyed this book, and it's so stupid, but it's exactly what you want it to be and what it needs to be. Like, talking about this book, I have the biggest yeah. smile on my face. Like, it's so happy to talk. Because I was worried you guys were going to be like, holy shit, this was awful. Because I was like, I love every page of this book. No, it it, it, it was perfect. <laughs> it, it has no right working. It does. it does not have any right working. But for whatever reason, just like I watched that damn Christmas special, it's not good. That He-Man She-Ra Christmas specials, no good. But I watch it every year. I'm going to read this book now, like, once a year on 4th of July. I don't know why 4th of July just works. Because it's just a blockbuster spectacle. Uh, oh, yeah. my, oh my god, I'm flipping through it now, and I'm just like when Crusher bites Mamra, and he's like, and like they didn't... He doesn't like cats. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, Cringer's like, yeah, they'll teach you to talk bad about cats. It's like, oh, Cringer, I loved you because you stuttered oh like me. This, hold on one second. I'm doing a little bit of internet legwork right now. Okay. Uh, not, not currently. I'm sorry. Comicsology's pull list website's not the best. Um, He-Man Thundercats. This book is three ninety nine. I do not regret spending that four dollars on this at all. No, even I think even if you paid four ninety nine, I think you would be like, eh, I, I, I don't mind paying that. How about five ninety nine? Five ninety nine is too much. I, I I would not pay that much for a book unless it was like a special like anniversary pages. issue. Like that's just that's a lot. I, I haven't read the uh, Wonder Woman one yet, Paul. Did the, Paul buy that? Probably not. <laughs> I, I, I know you mentioned it for your list pick. Yeah, I need to file it. But, yeah. um, <laughs> no, $4 for this book. It's everything that I loved about He-Man and Thundercats that I just think would be dumb and fall flat now, but 
I I loved it. I never noticed this about Skeletor, but he needs to go see a pedicurist. Like yeah, nothing else. Nails. Uh, even like right in the beginning of the book when they show Mumra turning into Mumra, like the, the ever page, yeah, it's such a badass. Like the art is just awesome in it. Yeah. Like it just is so. That good. was always the coolest part of the episode. Oh yeah, like you were just and waiting it for that in every to single episode because they were just reusing that animation. Mm-hmm. But you were waiting for it as a kid. Yeah. Like oh yeah, um, this is when things start happening. No, artwork in it, Freddie E. Williams, he was one of my favorite artists over on Robin years ago when that was coming out. I'm happy to see him back. I'm happy to see him handling the just absolute craziness that is He-Man Thundercats because he draws the characters like they appeared in the cartoon or in action figure form. Just like huge shoulders, big beefy thighs, tiny ankles, like every. It's he, all there. He draws them I mean, like he Paul, loves them. Paul, we, we got to see Orko doing stuff. Yeah, he's the great and powerful Orko who saved your life. Saved those kids from those rocks. I, I feel like we need to read a panel from this every every episode now, and just until we read the entire book. Like it, This book is fantastic. I loved it. When, the, uh, when chaos erupts, champions rise. Soldiers! Mages. I was going to go into the Orco panel, but I wasn't. But we got to uh, save that. We'll, we'll do that next week. Um, but yeah, that's, I think, all the books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I had so more I fun talking about this book. Sorry, what was that, Paul? I think I had more fun talking about this book than when I was reading it, because I, I think I, I think enjoy so. it more now. <laughs> so your enjoyment so paid do- off. Yeah. I don't want to do power rankings because there was a lot of books, but can you guys pick like a top three? Uh, top three, I would say, uh, in no particular order, uh, He-Man, Thundercats, Clone Conspiracy, and Cave Carson. No, Clone Conspiracy and Champions. Okay. Wow, okay. Pretty well, close. I'm going with uh, Champions, He-Man, Thundercats, Cave Carson has a cybernetic guy. Wow, I'm surprised, Paul. What? That's my top three. Then Enchanted Teak Room might have been four, Jessica Jones five. Okay, And then I'm right into power ranking territory, so I'll stop. Yeah. That's okay. Teak Room's um, on the bottom. It's eight. <laughs> I, I will go uh, I He-Man a... Thundercats, Champions, and then Serenity, just because it, it felt like reading an episode. But Cloak Conspiracy would probably be, like, a close number four, like... We'll see where that one goes, because I'm definitely looking forward to reading number two, which I think is already out. But yeah. Alright. And if you want to power rank us, you can do that over on iTunes. We've been recording for two hours. Uh, Eight books. <laughs> leave us a rating and a review. We love those ratings and reviews. You can email us, contact at bagnaboardcast.com or chris at bagnaboardcast.com john or Paul at bangboardcast.com. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, basically anything. You search Bagged and Boardcast and you will find us, or Bagged and Board, you will find us. And, uh, Chris, anything to plug? Um, you can check me out over on Parked and Rec. We talked about it a little bit during this episode. I, I'm sitting on another episode that I just haven't finished editing yet. I'll get to it eventually. Just don't um, edit things, man. I never do. I, 
I just he I need to, to put though. in the intro and outro music. Everything else is ready to go. I just mm. haven't done that part of it yet. Uh, but you can do that. John, you have another podcast, too? Uh, yeah, we haven't worked on that in a while. But for it's Halloween. Good. It's good, though. Halloween Movie Massacre? What is it called? Movie Horror, horror? Movie Massacre. Oh. Where we dissect and resurrect horror movies. Is that the intro for it? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. It is. Yeah. Yes. You can find there, me on oh, LinkedIn. There was something that, <laughs> God, there was something that came out recently that I saw that I was like, you guys need to talk about this. I can't remember what it was. We, yeah, we have a list of stuff. It's it's more on my end, not getting around, and then Maddie's got some stuff going on. So it's like, it's just tough trying to find the time to do two podcasts, have a life, be part of <laughs> trust two, me, I know, be part of two D and D groups. Like, meh, it's, it's tough. That's why word books with friends will never start. <laughs> Even though every time I read a book, I'm like, man, this would be fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Ready Player One. Yeah. Did you guys read it? No. Oh, soon no, to be I would, though. Well, you guys should. It's really good. It is really short, too. Mm-hmm. I read it in, like, three nights. Yeah. Just because once you start, you can't mm-hmm. stop. And that was during my busy time at work where I, I was like, I get home and all I did was go to bed and read. And talking about work, find me over at LinkedIn. <laughs> Post to your, your job openings over on Indeed. <laughs> I will apply. Thank you.